0: Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um... Just look at your Bibles for a second while I'm grabbing something. So we're not going to get to that bag for a long time, so don't stare at that bag all morning. We will, we will get there, um, but it's not going to be a while. So you could either listen to what we're going to be talking about and what's in the Bible, or you could just try to figure out what in the world is in that bag. And you can do both at the same time if you're talented. Uh, so we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Today uh, is the final day in our series of spiritual gifts. So if this is your first Sunday coming um, in this series, you're, you're right at the tail end. So this is a good time to come, and this will be the, the final uh, message. And you can go back and see the messages uh, online and, and watch them and catch up if you uh, so desire But today is our our final day on spiritual gifts. So what we'd like to do at the end of the service today, Jason is going to lead us in um, praying for anyone who would like prayer. So the the pastors will be up here, the the prayer team will be up here, and specifically in areas of you want to grow in the spiritual gifts that God has already given you. You want more spiritual gifts. Maybe you you desire to serve in a particular way. We want to pray for you. We want to pray that the Lord would fill you with his spirit, And we want to pray that he would use you to bring him glory, as as Claire had talked about. So let's pray briefly, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Holy Spirit, would you please speak to us from your word? Would you underscore the reality that everyone that you have called, you have gifted? And you want to even give them more gifts so that they can bring you glory in in all the different parts of the community that you have placed them in. And Lord, we pray as a church, we would be a vibrant people that would be quick to speak of you. And Lord, we pray you would just use this reminder from your word to encourage us, to stir us, and we will give you all the glory for that. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, in the book of 1 Corinthians, if you're not real familiar with it, it's what um, theologians call an occasional letter, meaning that the church in Corinth, which you can read all about in Acts 18 and how it got started, um, Paul actually knew them quite well. He lived among them for 18 months when the church first started, so he knew the, the founding members of the church very well. And what they think happened with 1 Corinthians is they wrote questions to the Apostle Paul, and Paul answered those questions. And the answers to those questions is what we have in 1 Corinthians. So you'll often see in 1 Corinthians this phrase, now concerning. And when Paul says, now concerning, theologians believe that that they wrote questions to Paul. Hey, Paul, what about this meat sacrificed to idols? Can we eat it? Can we not eat it? Now concerning meat sacrificed to idols, uh, we just went through the whole section of chapters 12 through 14. Now concerning spiritual gifts, so look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, the whole way through to chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is writing in detail, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his thoughts from the Lord on spiritual gifts that not only would help the Corinthians love one another and experience these gifts, but to do so in a humble way, in a loving way, in a way that did not bring confusion and so today we're going to finish the series not in 1 corinthians 12 through 14 but actually in 1 corinthians 15 so the apostle paul's very next thought after he finishes the subject of spiritual gifts and why we're going to do that is because in 1 corinthians 15 the apostle paul is going to answer the question what matters most when we boil it all down what is the most important thing for us to know as Christians, to us to know, for us to know in the context of spiritual gifts, what matters most? And the Corinthians, if you asked them that question, they might have th- said things like particular uh, spiritual gifts. Prophecy ma- matters most. Uh, spiritual languages matter most. Healing matters most. Miracles matter most. Um, one might have said the gift of administration matters most. Uh, wisdom matters most. Or the, the, the more godly of them would have said uh, love, faith, hope matters most. All those things are good things. They are fine things. But in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to get Paul's answer to the question. And if you've ever done pottery before and, and used a wheel where you're, you're centering the clay before you would make the bowl or the pot. That's what the Apostle Paul is going to do right now. He's going to center our mind, our attention, on what is absolutely most important for us as Christians to know. Or if you don't yet know Jesus Christ, what is most important for you to know? Look at verse 1 through 8. Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, bless you, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the Apostle Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me. And so the Apostle Paul is centering us this morning, and he's centering the Corinthians, and he wants us to know what matters most. Jesus matters most. And since he matters most, we must not lose sight of him. Now this may seem very obvious to us. It would have seemed obvious to the Corinthians. Remember, he spent 18 months spending time with them, pointing them back to Jesus over and over and over again. Yet, he knows probably his own tendencies, and he knows the human tendency to lose sight, to forget, to turn away from Jesus. Verse 1 again. Now, I would remind you, reminders are a good thing. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel of the good news that I preached to you, that I proclaimed to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. See, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he is trying to capture their attention. So, to the kids in the room... I can see some of you. Those I can see. I want you to give me mom eyes. Mom eyes are when your mom wants your attention, but she's not saying a word, okay? You can see some mom eyes. So eyes are big. Mom needs no words. And mom is is commanding all authority by just looking. Mom eyes. My mom had mom eyes. My wife has mom eyes. Um, You, if you're a mom, you probably have. Mommas. They command attention without words. The Apostle Paul wants our attention. And the reason is because he loves the people that he's writing to. And he knows it is vital for the spiritual health of the individuals in Corinth and for the local church as a whole to be centered and fixed on jesus to not lose sight of who jesus is and what he's like and here's the thing there are countless things that can distract us and cause us to lose sight of jesus let me give you a few fun things can distract us from jesus i love to do fun things i enjoy many fun things they can be gifts from the lord But at times, if we get so excited and fixated on we can lose sight of Jesus. Sad things can distract us from the Lord. When we are just very uh, taken back by something that has happened, that can be overwhelming. And it can do one of two things. It can cause us to just look downward and inward. Or we can go back to Jesus. Jesus, I need you more now than ever. Life's pressures can distract us from Jesus. The, the gas pump's going up and going down and going up and going down and bills going up and going down or, or whatever it is, it can have this constricting effect that we go into this innate survival mode and we lose sight of Jesus. Sin and temptation can obviously distract us, cause us to lose sight of Jesus. Church life as strange as it might seem, can distract us from Jesus. It can cause us to lose sight of Jesus. Serving Jesus can distract us from Jesus. Now, the best kind of serving is when we're fixed on Jesus, but we can get so busy serving Jesus that we lose sight of Jesus. Friends can either remind us and help us to see Jesus, or they can distract us from jesus technology in any form can draw our affections and attention to the lord or completely take us off uh, and cause us to lose sight of jesus even a distorted focus on spiritual gifts can distract us from jesus and You say, how can that be true? Well, if you read the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, that some of the more gifted people in the Corinthian church were proud about it, were unloving about it. And so they had these gifts that were from the Lord, but their motives got all messed up. And they lost sight of Jesus. Not only are there mamas, but there are teachers that are also have the same, let's say, Jedi powers to get attention. Before I was a pastor, I worked for the Aaron Intermediate Unit, a school agency here in town, and I got to go into a lot of elementary schools and high schools. Spent a lot of time at United um, Elementary School years ago, and there were certain teachers that were just amazing, that without raising their voice, without yelling and screaming, they could command the room, some by a, a tap on the desk, some by a uncomfortably long stare and smile and it would just draw everybody back that's, what, that's why we need reminders in the Bible see the Apostle Paul starts this whole letter of 1 Corinthians with this line in verse 9 of chapter 1 he said God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. Think about what that means. God is faithful whom he called you into a relationship with his Son. What he doesn't say is there's a body of doctrine about the person and work of Jesus Christ that you signed up Um, with when I came to town. Now, there is a body of doctrine that's true about Jesus, but all that is to point us to this relationship. See, the Apostle Paul wants to remind them that they entered into a relationship, a friendship with Jesus that was personal, alive, and real with the risen Jesus himself. And he wants our hope to be anchored in that relationship. And he wants us, if our vision is getting cloudy or blurry, he wants it to be refocused so that we see Jesus more. Think about this for a second. Every Christian knows that you should read your Bible, right? That's just a thing. And as a pastor and as um, all of your pastors, we, we, we want you to read your Bible. But the tricky thing with reading your Bible is it, it, can, it can morph in a weird way really quickly. It could be just a, like, you're supposed to exercise, you're supposed to read your Bible. You're supposed to um, brush your teeth, you're supposed to read your Bible. That's not how we should see the Bible. We should see the Bible as, here's what we really want as your pastors. We want you to know and enjoy fellowship with Jesus. We want you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And that happens through the Holy Spirit and through His Word. So when you open the Bible, the very next time you open this Bible on your own, by yourself, pray, Lord, I want to know You more. I want to experience You more. I want to see what You are like more. Where I have lost sight of You, I want 20 vision to see You clearly and to experience that relationship. That's how we want you to approach this book. And so if if your vision's really cloudy, you think, this is a little dusty, haven't looked at it for a while, maybe start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, because they all center on who Jesus is, what he's like, how he interacts with regular people, messy people, lost people, broken people, despairing people, confused people, little children, the whole gamut. And as you see that, you'll, you'll, your faith will grow. Oh, I can go to him. I can spend time with him. He wants to spend time with me. That's why he came here. As many of you know, Dave Marshall just started officially working here as a staff pastor July 1st. So we, we've been working together for a month. I have known Dave and Satin and their family for 17 years but in the last month I've learned all kinds of stuff about Dave that I did not know well why was that because we have spent way more time together in the last month than we than we really have in just a normal year in the 17 prior years that we've known each other so as we've spent time together We get to know each other. Our friendship deepens. We ask questions of one another. We notice things about one another. And that's how a friendship grows. A friendship grows stronger and stronger when you spend more time with that person. Well, think about Jesus. Fully God, fully man. Those who do well at walking through this challenging world Those who do the best are those who are the closest to Jesus, who who know him, who trust him, who enjoy him. And that's my encouragement to all of us, that we would spend more time, because Jesus is inexhaustible. It's a relationship you will never get to the bottom of. You'll keep learning more and more about how loving he is, how merciful he is, how kind he is, how patient he is how powerful he is, how he can, can work, walk into a, an impossible situation and just level the floor and change it in an instant. You can trust him. So spend time with him. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2, I, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's reminding them, hey, when I was with you, we talked about a whole bunch of things, but I always connected it to your fellowship with Jesus. To the one who died in your place, rose from the grave, is exalted and ascended to heaven, and one day will return. The Apostle Paul had a number of younger guys that he was training for ministry. And Timothy was one of them. And what he wrote Timothy in one place might have even seemed insulting at first, because by this point, Timothy had had some ministry experience, he had served people, he had preached, he had done a number of things, and he gets this letter from the Apostle Paul, and it's the second letter he received, and this is what he wrote in verse 8 of chapter 2. I wonder what he's going to write me. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle who's writing the Bible, who is the premier Apostle at the time, And his profound thought to me, Timothy, is remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Timothy needed centered on Jesus. He probably got knocked around by ministry experience, by local church experience, and probably got off kilter to a degree. Apostle Paul like. The mom-eyes like a good teacher, Timothy. Remember Jesus, the Messiah, the offspring of David, the one that was promised, the one who not only died, but is risen and exalted. Keep your eyes on him. See, we need to remember the good news. That's what he's doing in verse 1 and 2. Remember the good news that was proclaimed to you. Remember what Jesus has done. See, when he's writing this to them, he's recalling their experience. Remember when you first put all your sins on Jesus and believe that his payment covered every wrong you have ever done, that his shed blood cleansed your most vilest, darkest Guilt, That all your shame and guilt was washed away once for all. Remember that. Remember that good news. And remember how good the news seemed when you received it. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember your your personal reception of that good news. When you realize God is holy... You are sinful. You are deserving eternal punishment in hell. And yet God sent His Son to rescue you. You heard it. You turned from your sins. You repented. You trusted. And you received it. That's the good news that we need to be centered on. That's the person that we need to keep running to and trusting in. Remember the good news by which you are saved. See, Jesus saves us, then he is saving us, meaning he's transforming us into his image. He's conforming us. And then one day he will return. And all the struggles that we go through as Christians will be swallowed up and over. And we will see him face to face. And it says in Revelation 21, he'll wipe every tear from your eye. Tender care. Remember that. Point number two, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are of utmost importance. So he's reminding them, and now he's going to underscore it. And he wants them to know this good news, this gospel, isn't just good news for the Corinthians. It's not just good news for us here in Indiana. It's good news for the entire world. Every generation of human history. This is the news of news. This is the news that every single person desperately needs. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. I delivered to you of first The most important thing is what I shared with you. And the Apostle Paul is, is, is not just talking theoretical. I share to you of what's first importance, that which I also received. See, the Apostle Paul had a powerful encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And here was the message. That Christ, that's the title for the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, in accordance with all of the prophecies, predictions, and promises of the old testament that he was buried that he was raised on the third day see we we get so used to that but if you knew somebody that was buried and on the third day was like at Eaton Park when you went to eat lunch it's like what is going on it would be shocking because nobody does that see Jesus died as our substitute and then he rose. He conquered the power of sin and the power of death. That's our hope. That's our good news. And He appeared to Cephas. That's the apostle Peter. And then to the twelve. All of these men who after the resurrection devoted their life to preaching the gospel at great cost. They were so convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though the, the some have fallen asleep. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying he appeared to the 12. He appeared to more than 500 people, and while I'm writing this letter, you can actually go knock on their door and ask them, because most of them are still alive at the time that he was writing. That's over 500 eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. If you do an internet search, of, you can do lawyers who have explored the evidence of Jesus and how, how, how strong a case they would see the risen Christ, that, that case, if that came to court. Proof that Jesus rose from the It is, it is indisputable. You can look it up yourself, but think about that. Five hundred. If your most trusted friend or relative or spouse said, and you really, you trust them, and they, they just saw Jesus die, and three days later they said, he came over to our house. He, he was hanging out with us. You, you would believe them. Or you'd want to believe them. You ask them some diagnostic questions make sure they're not losing their mind, but after that you would believe them. And if you didn't believe them, if your entire all your friends that are your go-to people, all saw Jesus. Oh, now the circle is getting bigger. Then all your co-workers. Then all the people that you know here at church. If they all saw Jesus. Wow, Lord. You really did this. You really did what you you said you would do. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is um, when Jesus, after he had died and risen from the grave, he's walking on a road. It's called the Road to Emmaus in your Bible, and um, he's having a conversation with two people. And you know, he he kind of just goes along with them for a while. They didn't recognize him, and then he says this to them: "Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then, beginning with Moses, that's shorthand for the first five books of the Bible, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, he kept pointing out, here's where it points to the Messiah who would die for all people, rescue all people be a suffering servant that then would be a conquering king. Here you can see it here. You can see it here. And David wrote about it here. And he's just pointing out over and over again. So we can have great confidence in who Jesus is. Every promise that was given to God's people through the centuries of this promised deliverer that would come was fulfilled in Jesus who was fully God and fully man. See, there's just no more important message in all the world. Jesus said this in John 14 about himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the life-giving satisfaction. No one comes to the Father except through me. The good news is, everyone, anyone, can come to the Father through Jesus. But Jesus alone, He's the narrow way. He is the only way. And so if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, you need to run to Jesus. You need to call out to Jesus. And He is so loving. He's so merciful. As soon as you call to Him, as soon as you Look His way. He will snatch you up. And He will surprise you with His grace, with His mercy, with His forgiveness, and with a deep, lasting, internal satisfaction that you've been striving to find probably your entire life. There's there's nothing more important. There's no news more important. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, "...I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation." To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith faith. The righteous shall live by faith. If you've if you've read the book of Acts, particularly the second half, you'll see the Apostle Paul's life was very challenging, very difficult. Um, He was beat up many times, left for dead, um, hungry, starving, had so many pressures internal pressures, external pressures. Uh, He says at one point, all of Asia has deserted me. All all my friends, the entire continent, gone. Um, And yet, he just kept getting back up, dusting himself off, and sharing the good news because he knew, without a doubt, it was the hope of the world. And that's that's how we should be because in it, We get this righteousness that is from God alone that Jesus clothes us and covers us with his perfect righteousness. Next point. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the foundation of our hope. They are the foundation. See, if you read all 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see that the majority of 1 Corinthians 15 is making a strong case For the resurrection there were some in corinth that began began to get confused like did jesus really rise from the dead but it's in the resurrection that we can be a hundred percent sure confident that our sins forgiven that the holy spirit will dwell in us that we will make it to eternity with god forever we know that because jesus rose from the grave god the father accepted his payment for our sins. See, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, the Apostle Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we have no reason for hope. But if he did rise from the dead, we have all the reason in the world. That's why he says in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised. Raised from the dead. See, the resurrection is is just this proof that our faith is real. That we are trusting in God. Fully man, fully God. When Jesus came to earth, he never sinned. He did nothing wrong. Ever. Ever. In thought, in word, in deed, nothing. Zero. Perfection. And that qualified him to die for us. And when he died, it was a dark day. Literally, physically, it got dark. The wrath of God was poured out upon him for our sins. And the disciples scattered and were disillusioned. And then on the third day, Jesus begins to appear to people. Then they go. They see the the empty tomb. Then he shows up with the 12, and then at some point with more than 500. See, this is the absolute foundation of our hope. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection its the foundation of our salvation. It's the foundation that we can actually change and be transformed. Now to the bag that you might have forgotten about. It's my shovel. Is the only one that's mine, and actually, this is a, uh, a window into my personality. It still has sand on it. I don't, I don't quite remember the last time we used this, but <laughs> it wasn't at Yellow Creek. Let's put it that way. So, and uh, thanks to the Murphy kids, got some other sand toys. Well, I'm a dad of three, and uh, we've gotten to go to the beach quite a bit over the years. And I grew up going to the beach, and so one of my favorite things to do. It's kind of like the sadness of when your kids get older; they don't. Quite like doing the stuff that they like to do they like to do new things so that's fun but but it's just fun to like dig in the sand at times and so um and I was never very good at it so I'm not real artistic but we'd try and we'd build stuff and it looked good and when they were young they really enjoy it and then you know inevitably like two like chair sections over there's like this elaborate castle like uh, kids just look this way dad's trying I'm I'm digging I'm trying and 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 every sandcastle I've ever built, and my kids have helped me to build, or even those beautiful elaborate ones that have been built on the, the two sections up, every single one of them is gone. It's gone. It doesn't exist. Um, and the ones I built, the next day, or if it was low tide and we built close to the ocean and, and the high tide came in, it was gone within Hours. It's not a problem when it comes to sandcastles. It's a fine thing. It's a fun way to enjoy spending time with your kids. But if we build with sand or build on sand, it will wash away. That's why every sandcastle that's ever been built, unless it's preserved in some cement kind of way, it just washes away. Why? Because it's built with sand and it's built on sand, and it just washes away. The connection for us is if you hope in anything, if you live for things that are not Jesus, it's like building with sand. And if you hope in things that are not Jesus, it's like hoping in a foundation of sand. And over time, it will just wash away. Some take longer than others. Could be careers. Could be homes. It could be Um, your retirement fund. It could be uh, if I hit a certain level of finances, then I'll, I'll be okay. All those things are gifts and provision from the Lord. The problem is when we live for them and we hope in them, it's like building with sand and hoping in a foundation of sand. And it will wash. There's only one foundation that will stand the test of time and has stood the test of time and that's the risen Jesus. Study history. Study church history. The dark times. The re- times of revival. The times of persecution. The church survives. The church remains. Not because of the church, but because of Jesus. He is a solid rock. That as we refocus our vision on Him and as we use our spiritual gifts for him. Let's keep our minds centered on this hope that never, ever will give way. It is strong, it is firm, and it is secure. And that's all found in the person of Jesus. See, the resurrection guarantees a very secure hope for us. Listen to what, 1 Peter, what Peter writes in First Peter. And one thing to to think about the different New Testament authors that are writing, many of them are talking from absolute personal experience. So sometimes we forget that this is Peter who denied Jesus and now got restored by Jesus and saw the risen Christ. And now he writes this. It, It adds more weight, I think, to his words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy which Peter personally was on the receiving end of. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You hear the hope. This is an inheritance that that no family disputes can take away, that nothing can get at, that no uh, rise and fall of the economy can affect. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. See, the resurrection is proof of our hope, that it is secure. And not only that, the resurrection guarantees freedom. It guarantees that you can actually change That whatever hounds you and enslaves you, that you can turn from. And you can be different. Paul says this in Romans 6, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death. He's talking about our union with Christ. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's connecting the resurrection, the power of the risen Christ, And the fact that you and I can change. We can be different. We can be free. You can be free from sins that hound you, from anger or worry. Whatever it is that has tangled you up. Confess it to the Lord and be free. See, there is a glorious, glorious hope that is offered to all. And we need to trust him. We need to to realize what we, if we build on Jesus, if we stake everything, our reputation, our hope, everything on Jesus, it'll be solid. There will be joy. There will be freedom. There will be lots of opportunity to tell others all about what we have experienced. Let's not lose sight of Jesus. I love how the Apostle Paul ends 1 Corinthians 15. He closes with this verse, verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he re-centered the focus Now he's saying, go use your gifts. Abound in the work of the Lord. Be diligent, be active, be prayerful as you keep your hope fixed on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. If you wouldn't mind standing and if the band could come up, we'll sing one final song. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would draw near to us right now, you would fill us freshly with your Spirit. Lord, we pray that all of a sudden, with great clarity, we, we would see Jesus in his power, in his love, in his compassion, in his willingness to draw near to us as we draw near to him. Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out gifts in abundance in this room. And for those watching online, we ask that those whose gifts have have lied dormant would be stirred. And Lord, we would be immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord. And we ask all this for your glory, for your fame, and so that many, many, many more would know you. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.